Hello, and welcome to this episode of Burn Your Draft, the podcast exploring the Reed Senior thesis process and experience. I'm your host, Albert Corellis, and today we'll be talking with Reed English grad Anjali Reddy about her thesis on the Ramayana and its adaptations. Why don't you get us started, Anjali? Hi, my name is Anjali. I use she and they pronouns. I graduated in 2022 with a English degree, and the name of my thesis is Recognizing the Subaltern in the Ramayana, and my thesis advisor was Kritish Rajmandari. So the first part, the power of the novel. When I started studying English, what really stood out to me were the novels that we were reading, you know, not so much the other works until later on. The term novel is the name that the theorist Bakhtin gives to a genre of narrative text that reveals the limits and artificial constraints of what I would say is an already existing literary system. Mm -hmm. And that is what composes the canon. So Bakhtin claims that novels are fundamentally anti-canonical. The second half is recognizing the subaltern in the Ramayana. And for the purpose of this thesis, the Ramayana is an epic that I would say is most similar to the Odyssey. And it has played a very large role in many South Asian lives and culture. And so I decided to analyze it and recognize the subaltern within it. And the subaltern, I would say, are people mm -hmm. whose voices have been cast off to the sidelines by an oppressive force or someone who has the majority of the power. Okay, so here's the thing. The Ramayana itself is not a novel. It's an epic, yeah. like the Odyssey. However, the epic is so, so long, mm -hmm. and it's so fundamental to a culture a lot of the time. In recent years, there have been rewritings of that same epic in novel form by different authors. And so mm -hmm. one of my chapters was rereading the epic through the lens of gender studies. Mm -hmm. And another one was rereading it through the lens of indigenous folk. So were you mostly looking at the original epic form or were you looking at people's novel adaptations or somewhere in between? I would say a mixture of both because mm -hmm. I had to be familiar with the epic itself to see yeah. why it was so quote-unquote patriarchal. And I would say that because mm -hmm. the Ramayana itself is so timeless in its influence and its enrichment of the traditions in India. However, in the past few decades, the Ramayana itself has transformed into a symbol for the resurgence of a Hindu identity Mm -hmm. And so there's this Hindu nationalist party, the BJP, yeah. and their main chant is Jai Ram Giji, which is, you know, Hail Ram, the main guy in the Ramayana. Mm. It is not a Hindu epic, you know? So it's just, it's so interesting to see how people of power can take these epics that have lasted for so long and have been passed mm. down orally, so you can change and misinterpret a lot of it as well, to say that this is how yeah. Indian society should be, this is how culture should be, and it's a way of 
pushing subaltern peoples to the side. Mm -hmm. I think that it was really, really exciting discovering new novels in recent years where they look at the story from the point of view of the hero's wife, for example, that would be gender studies. And she talks about all the women in Mm -hmm. the entire story and how some of them have been villainized. And she talks about the role of being a mother and you have to consider all of that. And it's not just this one man's story and same with the other end with the indigenous people too because they actually make the villain or the bad guy from Lanka. So in this thesis you got like a lot going on you got the Ramayana you have this political aspect this like gender studies all these different things how many of those were present when you started getting interested in studying English? I actually am not a traditional English major. Mm-hmm. I didn't even declare English until junior year nice. probably Right around qual time, I decided that I wanted to pursue English. But the reason why I would say is whenever I was having discussions with my friends, we were all in political science at the time, Mm. outside of school, outside of classes, it would always turn to politics and I would tune out. Mm -hmm. But as soon as it would turn to books, you know, I'd get so excited (laughs) and vibrant and they go, Anjali, you are in the wrong major like (laughs) you you know like you should consider English and I didn't really know what to do with English at the time but I decided to start taking classes with professors that I enjoyed and so I studied all of the basics you know like Hume 211 the Renaissance (laughs) poetry Virginia Woolf all of it but what I really found myself loving the most and finding my voice and experience the most in is in post-colonial studies Mm -hmm. and so Kritish actually has taught a wide range of classes. I have taken so many with him, but they all pointed to post-colonial studies. And there was this one called Decolonizing the Novel in Africa. Mm -hmm. And so after taking that class, I fell in love with all of these different pieces of work that artists and writers of color were able to produce using their own voices, using their own experiences to create a sort of cultural discourse that I think redefines a lot of modern day society. So it's cool Mm -hmm. to see that we're seeing a lot of these POC writers in Mm -hmm. academic spaces now too. Were you interested in the Ramayana before doing like English academia stuff? And that's where the two come together, Mm -hmm. my baby, is that I grew up reading the Ramayana, the comics, my grandma and I would watch the serial every time she would come to visit. There's this serial from the 80s. And I guarantee you, every single person in India has seen that serial. You know, it is so fundamental. And I acted in plays because I was in um, Sunday school. So this epic was such a big part of my life. And once I decided that I was going to thesis in English, I thought, what better way to honor the people that have helped me get to where I am now by bringing the epic or the story that is so fundamental to our family mm-hmm. into yeah. academia. And it's not to say that it didn't exist before. It absolutely does. You know, there's so much theory on it, but I wanted to see what it would look like if I just started writing a thesis on the Ramayana. And it, then within research, I found those rewritings and found my argument. Nice. 
Had you read the epic in its original format before? Or were you mostly experiencing it through these other like reflections, adaptations? Because it sounds like it's a work that kind of exists in a lot of formats. Absolutely. And most of those formats follow a very similar Mm storyline. And these rewritings follow the same storyline as well. It's all the same story, just through different points of view. And so I had the original Ramayana in Sanskrit and also in English, the side-by-side translation bookmarked on my laptop for the entirety of senior year. It was really fun to go and actually compare verses Mm -hmm. to scenes that were being rewritten in contemporary form that was probably more digestible for people. Mm -hmm. That's another aspect that I also really love about the novel and the rewriting part is they're creating something that a lot more people are probably going to want to pick up and read rather than, you know, one long, dusty epic. So what was your day-to-day thesis work like? Just like reading a bunch of translations, secondary literature? I honestly got started with my thesis work the summer before thesis Mm -hmm. because I was lucky enough to be the recipient of the English department's Eddings grant. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Essentially what I did was I looked at stories written by people of color that are so important culturally to different people or into different spaces. And I argue why they probably should go into the canon and why they aren't in the canon. Mm-hmm. And it was through reading all of those sources that I found the first book that I study, which is called The Forest of Enchantments. And it was written from Sita's point of view, mm-hmm. who is Ram's wife. Mm-hmm. But in it, she's not just a wife. She talks about all of the other women in the epic, her sisters, the villainess, the fact that she has to sacrifice so much to be India's ideal woman, because that is a lot what the BJP, for example, will advertise yeah. to say that, you know, Sita is the ideal woman. You need to be like Sita. You need to be meek. You need to be humble. You need to listen to your husband. And in this rewriting, she says, well, this is why I did it. This is why I did it. I don't want anyone else to ever do this. I write for my sisters. People are misinterpreting why I'm meek. And I just thought it was Mm -hmm. so interesting that we actually get to dive into why women are expected to act a certain way and how that impacts them. So it sounds like besides just being like a set story or narrative, it's almost functioning as a nexus for social discourse. Absolutely. It shows how the novel itself is a medium for people to argue what rights they believe that they should have in society. Mm. And they can use their own experiences without the protagonist ever knowing because the protagonist is in the story, but they can go through these experiences and learn and do differently than maybe someone who has actually experienced as such. Did you encounter any sort of unexpected challenges when you were writing your thesis? Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) My thesis was originally going to be just an analysis of that one book, The Forest of Enchantments. Mm -hmm. And then by the time spring semester rolled around, me and Kritish decided that I would also analyze another book, A Surah Tale of the Vanquished, from the point of view of Ravana, the villain. Mm -hmm. Nice. And so that was a little bit of a cram because it was all of the reading and writing and theory of, you know, subaltern and indigenous folk put in and not just gender studies. Mm. But I am so glad that I did it because I remember going into Kritish's office, sitting down and saying, I wish I had more time for this thesis, but I don't. 
But these are the two subaltern groups that I cannot get out of my head and that I need to make sure that we write about. Maybe it's because they're the two that I feel the most closely to. My family is from the south of India. We are considered Dravidian, just like, you know, Ravana is. Mm -hmm. I'm also a woman. So maybe that's why. But I am very happy that I was able to crunch and expand. You kind of had to expand your scope to talk about all the things you wanted to talk about. Yes. I learned a lot about myself from my thesis process. Mm -hmm. I never expected that I could do it because I felt like my thesis was just such a niche topic, as all Reedy's theses are, but I had never seen anyone really do some kind of thesis like mine. And I ended up winning the William T. Lankford Humanities Award for the best thesis. Damn. Thank you. And I just... I remember standing there in shock and going, I did this. And it really shows that. that, Yeah. Like once you find what you love and what you're passionate about, it's crazy how Mm -hmm. all of the reading, all of the writing, it's painful. Yes, but it's all worth it. You know, it's something that I had to really reflect on. I enjoyed thesis so much that I ended up changing my career trajectory. Damn. I'm pursuing grad school, not as of now, but I do want to go to school and, you know, study either divinity or South Asian studies and really propel those voices that have been marginalized for so long. I want to help propel those voices. I want to learn a new language, translate. And I've actually been looking into the publishing industry as well, because Mm -hmm. I think it's so important that the publishing industry They're the ones that decide what books get put out, right? Yeah. So they're the ones that decide what goes on the curriculum. They're the ones that decide all of these things. So having people who look like you up there in those ranks is so cool because you know that they are looking for stories like yours. You mentioned that you have a lot of personal connections to this book. Not only are like the themes of gender and indigeneity important to you, but it's also part of your cultural milieu growing up. How do you think that impacted your thesis experience to be studying academically something so close to you? I struggled a lot with that part. And I honestly would Mm -hmm. write an argument and Anytime it would criticize the original Ramayana a little bit, which it it was criticizing, I would feel so guilty because I felt like I was going against something that had raised me or something that my family really valued. And so this is where I really have to credit one of my thathas, Ram Krishnareti Thatha. He holds a weekly scriptures class and my mom attends it and It's so nice because he took the time to sit down with me and answer all of my questions where I would say, well, what's wrong with this? What, why do people say this? Is this a misinterpretation or is that actually in the text? And through that, I felt so much better in making my argument that the Ramayana itself is not problematic. Mm-hmm. It's problematic how people interpret it and translate it. Yeah, that's such a useful resource to have. I, I felt very grateful to yeah. have the support of my entire family. And Kritish also was very familiar with the Ramana, so that was nice. Yeah, it was just, you know, I am so grateful to have all my siblings, in particular Neil, who I forgot in my acknowledgments. <laughs> well, you can acknowledge Neil now. I would like to acknowledge Neil 
and only Neil nice. for helping me with my thesis. <laughs> um, so you've talked like a bit about how your thesis kind of has changed your trajectory for things going forward. Mm-hmm. You're interested in grad school, maybe like publishing. Do you do you like think that you'll continue studying the Ramayana or is this more of a jumping off point for, for going into different types of literature? I definitely have only dipped my toes in it, yeah. but I think that there is so much out there scripture-wise, culture-wise, I don't know what I want to study. I do know that I want to start learning Sanskrit, though, because I think that Mm -hmm. either learning that language or one of the other languages of India would be very helpful for discovering more texts that more people should be aware of. Let me just look at my things. You were so efficient with this. You had, like, all your things ready. Looking at my little sheet here of questions. What is like the reception history of the Ramayana like? Like, did these BJP party conservative takes on it? Is this like it's like a modern reading of it, or like has that been around for a long time? Is that like mostly a post-colonial reaction? So, I would say that several scholars agreed that Hinduism as a religion should be considered a very modern concept separate from the Vedic tradition, which is where the Ramayana comes from. Mm-hmm. When South Asia became colonized, all of the people that didn't fall into either Christianity, Islam, they just sort of grouped all of those practices, all of those cultures into Hinduism and the Hindu religion. It became a homogenous category. But there's so many practices, there's so many cultures that live on their own. And so when you have this Ramayana, which is a Vedic tradition, Mm -hmm. you know, mixed together with all these different other practices and religions, you get different festivals for it. You get different celebrations. Diwali, the festival of light, for example, celebrates the returning of Ram. There's different cities in South India where they burn effigies of Ravana, for example. Yeah. It's not just... The politicians, I I think Modi, you know, you don't need to bring politics into this, but... We, we can have a little as a treat. A little as a treat. Modi, as a nationalist prime minister, does not step up and say anything when groups of people, and this has happened multiple times, groups of people mm. will be found beating up a Muslim man yeah. with that same term. Jairam Kiji, Jairam Kiji. And they go, well, it's 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 our India. It's Hindu India. And it's like, you're using something from the Vedic scriptures, mm-hmm. not the Hindu tradition. So it, it's a little silly. But I think that it just comes from so many people mixing the two together yeah. because it's such a big part of their culture and their life and claiming that, well, if that's India, then this is the right way to do it. Yeah. This is how women should act, you know. This is who should be in charge. Rom, like the Rom type people. So it's just. So it sounds like there are a lot of disjunctures that come from this kind of colonial misunderstanding and like attempts at homogenization that then have kind of like influenced new takes on on how we should read this, how it should be incorporated into religious systems. Yes, which is why it's so important for this epic to be reconstructed and reinterpreted in a contemporary context, hopefully through the form of the novel, address the erasure that dominant narratives 
impose on the subaltern people through those very chants. So it, it sounds like some of these novels are almost attempting to be, maybe this is a dangerous word, but like a, a recovery of more original readings maybe, or at least like more clear and less homogenized readings. Yes, I would say yes to the less homogenized readings because mm-hmm. no one can really claim what was in the original Vedic scriptures. Yeah. You know, you have the sense. lines, but it, it might be hard to translate them. But it is important that the very authors that wrote those books are the ones coming from that identity group. So the author of Asura, Tale of the Vanquished, is a Dravidian man. And Mm -hmm. his book was actually not well received in India because it criticizes casteism. It criticizes the light versus the dark debate with skin tone. It criticizes a lot of things. And it's just... Maybe his social group was so, so happy that that came out, but it's not the top social group. It's still a subaltern group. So it's important for academic spaces to at least take in accounts of subaltern people. If I could give myself any advice looking back, feel free to take it or not. It's up to all of you. But my advice would be to really find a thesis advisor that you feel understands you as a person Mm -hmm. and who can also help you with your project. It is so important to have a thesis advisor who keeps you going through the process. While I enjoyed all of my reading and writing, keeping that up while also trying to perform well in all of my classes because it's my last year is a lot of work. So what I would try to do is I told Kritish, assign me homework every week, five pages every week. It's, it's a little, like a mini essay, mm-hmm. you know, we're English majors. We can crank out five pages. Yeah. And it started out really strong, but obviously I, I did not end up turning in five pages every week, yeah. but I still would try to turn in a page or a paragraph or even a quote. I would say, Kritish, this is what I found. And so even mm-hmm. though I wasn't turning in the entire assignment, knowing that I had homework for my thesis class was so helpful. We already gave a shout out to Neil. Are there any other like big shout outs or or people that you want to thank? I am so grateful to so many people. I have to say my family, all of them, shout out Tata, shout out to my partner who was so supportive during the entire writing and grinding process. And shout out to my best friends, Amrita and Sophia. It is so important to have two people to have your back, no matter what. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, Anjali. Thank you so much, Albert. I had a great time. Thanks so much, Anjali, for reminding us that not only canonical texts themselves, but how they're repeated, reinterpreted, and represented can have a massive impact on the culture they belong to. I hope you'll join us again to hear more from students and alumni about what it means to burn your draft. 
If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe, check out our Twitter and Facebook pages, and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Bring Your Draft is a production of Reed College and the Center for Life Beyond Reed, created jointly by students, alumni, and staff. This episode was produced, hosted, and engineered by me, Reed College student Albert Corellis. Our executive producer is Seth Paskin, class of 1990, with technical advising from Joe Janica. Our project manager is Nate Martin, class of 2016. Our intro and outro music is by Jack Salvucci, class of 2020. And our podcast art was made by alumni Henry Gotchlik and Lillian Pham. This podcast was made possible by a gift from Seth Paskin.